0: everyone. And we're back to the Neil Haley show in the total celebrity segment. I got an interesting story for my guest. I just binge watched the Sopranos last year or like six months ago. So I never watched the Sopranos. I'm 47. And I just was enthralled by it. it. was such an unbelievable show. So I remember it like it just launched in the last scene stills getting to me. And I know lots of Soprano fans as well. And I'm excited to welcome to the program, Michael Imperioli. Michael, I appreciate you stopping by. Uh, we have we're going to talk about your latest project as well. But you have multiple projects. I'm very impressed from writing to author to podcaster. You have a lot of different projects. Has that always been who you are, is have multiple things on your plate? From
1: the, From the beginning, beginning, yeah. yeah. Um, um, when I started uh, acting, acting school, really, before I even was working professionally, I started, uh, before I started working professionally as an actor, I started producing theater and directing theater and... uh that's, I've always been involved in a lot of different projects. I'm I'm the type of person that needs to stay creative and stay busy, and um, um, I still, that's still what I do. It's kind of like things really haven't changed in a lot of ways.
0: Really, it's so interesting. So from from the beginning, you must have had a love for more than just acting, right? Because when you're behind yeah. and all that, what growing up, did you want to be an actor or what were you looking to do?
1: Uh no not till high school I started reading a lot of plays in my uh library at the at my high school and I saw some plays around that time I mean I grew up watching some really good movies you know from the 70s like Dog Day Afternoon and Midnight Cowboy and things like that so uh and then when I was like toward senior year of high school thinking about all right, what it, if you can do one thing with your life what would it be okay and It's like, I guess it would be acting or making movies or theater or something. So I, after high school, I went to acting school and fell in with some really good students who started doing stuff outside of the class on our own, producing one of whom was on The Sopranos, John Ventimiglia, who I've known since I'm 17 in acting school. And we started, he played Artie Bucco, the chef. So we started doing... uh, theater on our own. We started a company and uh, started directing and then writing a little later after that. And um, that's how it's been, you know, I mean, uh, the project, the project that I'm here to discuss between wars is an independent film. And the writer and director was a student of mine uh, at Studio Dante, which is a theater my wife and I opened in uh, 2003 where we produced new plays, but we also had classes both in acting and in writing.
0: So that's impressive. So that's interesting. It's a definite project that you've been passionate about, or at least because of your friends so involved in it, that you really wanted to do this project, it sounds
1: like. Well, you know, it has, a, I mean, first of all, Tom Phillips, the writer, director, is a very talented guy and, and a friend, but also, you know, I have a, you know, a connection to it because it, originated at the theater with him developing it in the writing class. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, that's inspiring. That's something that came out of that class, uh, went on to be a movie now and, and, and Tom managed to stay with it for a long time and, and never give up and, and eventually get it made. So I'm, I'm very proud of that.
0: And do you see that in yourself and never giving up as an actor to where you got the opportunity to Sopranos and just go going.
1: Yeah, you have to, um, you have to really be in it for the long haul, at least I did and most of the people that I know. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a long game and it takes a lot of, uh, you have to develop a thick skin, you know, um, because you're not gonna get every job, you're not gonna get every, you're not gonna succeed at every job and get it, you know, get every audition, get every job that you audition for. Um, and it's very hard to break into uh, this business. Really, really hard. Um, there's no magic bullet. I mean, people think if they get an agent, they're going to all of a sudden be working all the time and it doesn't really work that way. It's not at all. You really just have to, um, you ha- you know, people are say, Oh, it's always who, you know, it's not who, you know, it's who knows you. So it's what you've managed to do and, and what, what work you've managed to do and, and, how you represent yourself and the kind of work you do and how people see it and who sees it, you know, and, 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 uh, who you work with and work gets work. And you, you just have to dedicate your, basically your life to it. If you want to succeed. I mean, there's no, I don't think there's a shortcut. Um, no.
0: there's some, I, there's some that overnight success, but that really doesn't happen much at all.
1: It doesn't happen much and often it doesn't sustain itself and it, it burns out or it comes and goes really quickly. Um, for the often, um, but a lot of people don't want to hear that, you know, when they say, oh, you know, well, you have any advice? And I'm like, get into a good class, develop a good peer group, do stuff outside the class, you know, do independent movies and student films and theater projects. And people don't want to hear that. They want to hear get I want to be famous. I want to be they, in movies. Want I want now. an agent. They want it now. And I understand that, too. I did, too, when I started. But um, the reality is that's probably not going to happen.
0: How much of Christopher is you?
1: Um, I'd say the only part is his uh, diligence and willing to do the work. Um, I mean, I I can also be very lazy despite being very busy, but um, he, you know, he wanted to be a screenwriter. He wanted to produce movies. He wanted to rise up the ranks of the mafia. He wanted to be in a relationship. He wanted to get sober at one time. And he was willing to put in the work for all those things. He didn't always succeed at them. Uh, they didn't always come out the way he might've want, wanted them to, but I think he worked hard to uh, at his goals where he didn't expect things just to happen to him. He didn't expect people just to do the work for him. And that I think I understood a long time ago, you know, but everything else I don't share that much with him. I don't think.
0: And multiple projects is another thing you share with them. You know, yeah, that's true. That is absolutely true. Yeah. Were, were you as intense sometimes as he's intense as a character? You know, when he with the temper, do you have that temper?
1: Not like he did. I mean, he's you know every I mean everybody loses their patience sometimes, but I think he he never really tried to rein in his temper. You know, whereas I hope I do, and other most most people I know tried to do that. You know.
0: And at times he was very intense, but then he lacked the focus. That was the biggest thing as, as a character. He was really focused on something, hyper focused, and then something drew him away from it.
1: Well, sometimes he could lose interest, which a lot of people have. That you know, they some people aren't finishers. You know, they start strong and then they see the work that it's going to take and they and they fade away. Um, he also a was involved in a lifestyle that's very very corrupt and dangerous. Right. mafia great. yeah I, you thought i was going to say the movie business but um it's i actually show business yeah right. um and he had you know addic- addiction issues big time and um that's derailed the best of them you know
0: who taught who would you say was your greatest mentor on the set the sopranos that really taught you the real david experience? chase david
1: chase really well particularly as a writer um you know, as an actor, we were all peers. There was no, I didn't really look up to anybody. I just felt everybody, we were all on the same. We were all, you know, all on, in terms of experience, kind of on a level playing field, except for Dominic and Nancy, who were much yeah. older and who had done so much. But, um, you know, everyone else, I felt like we were, you know, equals, and peers. Um, David, in terms of writing, I learned a lot in terms of... Uh, detail i mean one of the things i really learned from david was extreme attention to detail which is very evident in the sopranos when you look at everything's very specific you know there's a if there's a mechanic who oh. comes out from underneath the car he's wearing a turban and is a sikh you know guy from india or something you know everything is drawn to the most specific detail and uh it you know, they say the devil's in the details and it, and it is, it's, it's that attention to the specifics that really separate David's work. And, and that made a big impression on me.
0: And you took that with you as a writer and author after that, what you learned from my, from David. Yeah.
1: I had been writing a bit before that. Um, I had one movie that was made before the Sopranos, which was Spike Lee's Summer of Sam, which uh, I, I was a writer on. And that was, that came out actually it was shot during the same, the first season of the Sopranos. It was shot at the same time, although I wrote it before I was on the Sopranos uh, with a partner. And um, but you know, working with David really changed me for the better yeah. and it uh, was like an education. really. Yeah.
0: Interesting. And so, in that, and take that in writing, what about acting? Was it, who do you think was the one that helped you the most acting? Experience As one. an
1: actor, you know, in my lifetime, um, my teacher, Elaine Aiken, who passed away a number of years ago, but I was with her from my teens to like mid twenties. And, um, actually Alec Baldwin studied with her for a while. John wow. Amelia, Sharon Angela from the Sopranos, Sean Young, the actress, Andrew McCarthy, Lily Taylor. She's had a, a number of students who got, you know, pretty far in the business, but, uh, she taught me that, um, not to sound pretentious that acting is an art and that it should be treated as such. And that, uh, I didn't go to college. Um, after high school I started taking acting classes. I wasn't really, I was at a school, but I wasn't full time. I would take two classes, but Mm -hmm. she said, listen, you don't have to go to college, but you do need to educate yourself. Um, especially about art and learn about and read good literature and understand what it means to be an artist and, and learn about the world. And, uh, I went to museums with her and saw theater with her. and she, she uh, That was a big, big education. She had a yeah. lot of faith. And she said, even before I ever did anything besides study acting, she said, you're going to do a lot more than act in this business. You're going to direct yeah. and write and all. She said that before I even really well, thought well, of doing
0: it.
2: Okay.
1: Uh,
0: so that, very interesting when you talk about that process. Now, after The Sopranos, everyone really had success after The Sopranos, meaning a lot even their careers grew in certain ways. You took things after the Sopranos was over towards what was your more of your focus, your goal after life, after the Sopranos.
1: You know, I I can't say I had ever had a long-term goal. In some ways you're always back to the drawing board for me. I think the danger that people fall into the trap, especially when you have a success or on a successful show or movie that you're like, okay, now I got to be on a show that's as successful or more successful and be, have a bigger part and get paid more money and be a bigger star. When you start doing things like that, you're in trouble because that may never happen. Right, Probably won't happen. So you just have to go back, you know, to the things that inspire you, look for something interesting. Um, And you know, that's, that's how it was for me, you know, TV, film, theater, writing, um, just, just um, take things as they come. I think the problem when you try to have this design of the future and of the career and the path and stuff, it, it it's very hard to have things work out that way.
0: And that this industry for sure, right? If you have, you write your career plans, it's not like in sports, if you're one of the top notch, you can kind of write What you want your goals to become, or as an entrepreneur, but in this industry it's a lot of chance, isn't it? you know it's what's happening
1: at the time and what is available to you at the time you know, so it's uh it's very unpredictable mm-hmm. and so I mean, listen, so is sports, right? You can break your oh. leg and there goes your stupid exactly. run for the year, and you know you're out for two years or you you know life you have to i think. You have to be prepared for life throwing your curveballs and just take things as they come a step at a time.
0: Agree. Now, what's your greatest love? Is it writing?
1: Um, you know, it's 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 hard to pinpoint because every project has its own thing. Um my greatest love is when I'm involved in something that has a personal element to it. Whereas especially if it's something that uh I've written because those things tend to be more personal right. some I mean I wrote and directed a movie that that was an original screenplay that that's very personal I wrote a book that's just um, also very personal because it's just your voice there's right. no it's you know movies and TV and theaters are very collaborative are mm-hmm. collaborative mediums um, but it's 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 all that stuff that's very personal that you know, brings me the most joy, I think, that I feel the most connected to. Um, I have a movie that came out earlier this year. It's available now on like uh, streaming, like Amazon Prime and iTunes and stuff called Cabaret Maxime that I produced and starred in and that had a lot of actors from The Sopranos who I had worked with over uh, over the years on other projects, independent movies and theater from my theater and all that. So there's been a lot of that kind of collaboration. The director, someone, it's our third film with him. I love that kind of stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. that collaborative stuff with the people I know and that I've worked with that, that,
0: that gives me a lot of joy. You enjoy that. And then you enjoy reminiscing as I was listening to another interview, the Sopranos cast was like a family to you in so many ways. It
1: was. was, And like, um, first of all, a lot of us knew each other from before the Sopranos. I knew Edie Falco. I knew, John Ventimiglia, I knew Sharon Angela, Kathy Narducci, I knew Vinnie Pastore, Tony Sirico, um, Michael Rispoli. We had done theater and movies together, TV, a little bit of TV. Um, and then we got even closer during the show and the people that I didn't know, we got close. And, and, and to have a big success together, because really only Lorraine Bracco was a star per se before okay. The Sopranos. She was nominated for an Oscar for Goodfellas and, everyone else was kind of on the same working actors. You might know us from this or that, yeah. but we weren't household faces or names per se. So uh, having that success together really bonded us as well. And, and and we've stayed friends since then for the most part, all of us.
0: So tell me about the film, especially that passion film that just is now available streaming, Cabaret. Yeah.
1: Cabaret Maxime, uh, we shot in Lisbon, a director named Bruno Delmeida. Uh, and it's about a... I play a club owner, a guy who owns like an old school burlesque cabaret with a, a bunch of misfit performers that are that are really his family, and it gets threatened by gentrification and these, you know, criminal elements that want to you know, capitalize on the neighborhood changing and 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 gentrifying. And we shot in Lisbon. It's a Portuguese filmmaker. It's our third film with him. Ventimiglia's in it. Um, David Proval, who played Richie Aprile on The Sopranos. Okay. Um, Sharon Angela, who played Rosalie Aprile, and uh, Arthur Nascarella, who played Carlo Gervasi. So uh, there's a Soprano vibe to it, although it's not a, it's not a mafia movie per se, but right. there is a gangster noir element to it. Yeah, it's when good, you're under club,
0: um, at one point, there's some underhanded things sometimes that happen. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So it's, um, but I, it's, I think it's my favorite performance out of anything I've done. I'm really proud of it. And uh, and the new one, uh, Between Wars, which just became available last week through Vimeo. And that, that, that you can go to BetweenWarsTheMovie.com and get info on it, how to watch it. But that's Tom Phillip. He wrote and directed it, originated in the class at Studio Dante. And he shot this movie in nine days with very, very, very little money. Completely independent. And it's a very raw, New York, edgy gritty, passionate movie about, uh, really about the effects of PTSD on on, on right. uh, veterans.
0: What a time to talk about this. This, this will again yeah. be airing on Monday in syndication and then out on YouTube today. They, I mean, on Tuesday, I'm thinking Monday, but to talk about veterans and what they've done and the challenges that we're dealing with now with the coronavirus and and certain freedoms that we took for granted, right? Thanks to our, our men and women that help serve their country, you
1: know? Yeah. You can never, um, you can never put enough gratitude and praise on people who dedicate themselves to that
3: yeah.
1: and people who make the sacrifices that they do. And sometimes the ultimate sacrifice. I mean, you can never, you can't appreciate that enough. I
0: think. Mm. It's why we have the freedoms today to be as creative and do what we want to do. other places, Yes, can... it is. Yeah. Yes, it is your character in between between wars. Tell us about that character.
1: Well, he goes by the name of Sarge and he's a veteran himself from Iraq, from the uh, Bush one Iraq war. Uh, And um, he has become basically a counselor, you know, psychologist to help people dealing with uh, post traumatic stress disorder. And he's a guy from, uh, from New York, from the streets, grew up, you know, blue collar background, went to the uh, military. I mean, he was a young guy and um, saw some rough things, you know, managed to live through it and and came back and just, you know, realized that his, his peers and his friends and his comrades, you know, were coming back damaged and wanted to find a way to help. So um, it's interesting because originally one of the early drafts, this character was just part of us. He wasn't a therapist. He was part of like their group therapy, like part of the support group that the lead character Franny goes to. And um, I was originally gonna play a different character. And then when I read that, I said, Tom, what about expanding on that and uh, making that Sarge character bigger, make him more, you know, and and Tom was like, well, what if we make him the the therapist, you know, and Mm one-on-one with Franny and then he wound up writing these scenes that I just loved, yeah. and um, you know, I just I, I just, uh, just kind of connected to that character and, and um, loved how he expanded on it. And uh, I like the one-on-one aspect and challenging this guy to really be honest with himself. Exactly, it's the only way he's going to heal is to really be honest with himself, and, and um, you know, you can't act out. And heal yourself. You have to act, you know, from within and, and 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 that's really what he's teaching and trying to and how he's trying to
0: help. And Sarge just understands from these other people that have gone through this how hard it is to go to civilian life in so many ways, especially going through something as traumatic as this.
1: It's very hard. It's a hard transition. It's hard to be around people who don't know what you've been through and don't understand what you've been through. And Um, no matter how much no matter how close you are to them and how much you love them and how much they know you it's still you've experienced things that only those who have gone through it know and there are things that are hard to integrate and hard to make peace with and uh, you know there's a big spectrum of them there's you know uh, a big variety and, and int- levels of intensity of PTSD and, and based on what your experiences actually were, what your psychological makeup exactly. is, what type of person you are. And, um, you know, he sees that this guy Franny, um, you know, if he doesn't find a way to handle these demons, yeah. you know, he's going to destroy himself. It's life or death. You know, it really, it really is. I'm I'm not saying that you know exa- with exaggeration at all it is life and death i mean it's and um i i think if this movie can you know draw a little bit of attention to that and, and, and right. even just open one set of eyes to the reality of that problem then then this
0: movie's done an amazing thing and see and that's the thing that's the frustration we do not have enough money towards or we really still don't understand mental health. And how mental illness and dealing with PTSD or different types of disorders that we really need to have the right people and to help them that, that reach out because it's so awful when you have a mental illness. The amount of suicides that take place in this country, regardless if it's PTSD or not, depression, anxiety, all these different things, how painful it is for those people and we really have to shed light on it more than we do
1: yeah it's painful it's lonely it's stigmatized um you know it's 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 not as simple as something like you know i have an ulcer so i'm gonna take medicine or i'm gonna you know get a surgery it's it's a lot more subtle it's a lot it's a very different type of illness but um
0: it helps it helps it helps it hits home for me meaning family members dealing with it and it's very hurtful. So it's painful. So meaning not PTSD, but dealing with, uh, you know, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, it's terrible. And, and- I
1: I agree. And I think, I mean, even just going through coronavirus this mm-hmm. period of time, I think it's been a challenge for a lot of people to, to, you know, when your whole, everything, you know, is changes, yes. right? The, the life that you've lived up till this time is completely changed And some people in the uncertainty, the economic uncertainty, you know, not having a job and not having a steady paycheck. I mean, it's stress, levels of stress that are very hard to deal with. And, um, you know, we we have to make help available. We have to make it affordable. And we have to let people know that there's no shame, that there's no stigma involved, that it's very human. And uh, we all have to be in it
0: together. Right. And everyone speaking of the coronavirus has dealt with it some stress in some part of their life. Some, a lot of other, some more than others, but we've all had to sacrifice in certain ways. But also we've had to make changes. Some of us work from home, but yet then all our kids are at home for school, so that was a challenge. Or you know the things that people have to deal with these moms, the, the hard work that they put through for the kids that were home for school. I mean they got to be so commended. They need the stimulus. Huge. They're huge. huge.
1: What? And then dealing with loss and people yeah. who've died. I mean, yeah. uh, a lot of us, I mean, myself included, no people who have died from this and dealing with that grief. And, uh, you know, no matter what you believe or your politics or this or that,
0: we're all in this together. We have okay. to be and we're not. And we have to figure out a way to yeah. stop this i mean i watch all media just because i'm a studier of the media i have a history degree so i'm interested in looking at all sides what the media says and we really don't know for a fact who's right and that's the scary point how dangerous this virus is we know it's dangerous but how much is it going what's going to happen in the next six months what's going to happen in the next two weeks it's just so unknown and that's the thing and the uncertainty yeah. with the economy for actors, also think about the acting business. Oh my gosh, you guys are being completely shut down. When will you get yeah. up? That's got to be hard. You're used to doing events. You're used to.
1: Yeah, I lost a whole tour. I was do we were doing a tour of England and uh, United Kingdom and, and and Ireland in month in May, 17 city tour, and uh, gone uh, gone. Maybe maybe next year. Maybe not. We'll see. I hope. Um, uh yeah i i think especially in new york which is where um i do a lot of my work my, my last tv job was in new york you know to see how it's going to open up when it's going to open up what changes are going to be made to production and and um we'll get back we'll get yeah. we'll get there again no no doubt i mean it's just going to take some time and take some changes but we'll you know we'll get there um but it's certainly been you know the uncertainty looking like a natural disaster They're horrible and devastating. People die and they lose businesses and homes and stuff, but there's a certain finite way to take it in and say, okay, here's the damage, a hurricane's done. This is the damage, we gotta fix it. We gotta put aid, we gotta help. This thing is just so unpredictable and uncertain. We don't know the future. We don't know, can it come back? Will it come back? Is it it safe to reopen? Is it not safe to reopen? is there a vaccine? Is there not a, can we have a vaccine? you know, will it work? We don't, we just don't know. And the unknown and the
0: uncertainty is me for the first really hard five weeks. I'm an entrepreneur, have a digital marketing and tech company. And I'm like, okay, I was looking to expand the company to more than just me and a few people. And then all those plans changed because I did not know I'm still doing, I'm very busy still, but guess what? The clientele is a different clientele and prospecting because we don't know where, who's, where people buy things, what they're going to do, what events. It's just, it's just so much, but thank goodness I'm online because that's where everything's going.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was kind of a blessing to be able to start a podcast uh, in the middle right. of that's this because I've been doing this from home yeah. and that's been, been, uh, been fun at least and, and, a, and a, just a welcome uh, distraction, but it's, yeah. um, it's been really hard, you know, for everybody. And, uh, no one saw this coming really i mean it's like certainly last year this time if you would have said this was what we'd be living <laughs> you know i'd be shocked because uh, you travel uh, a
0: lot especially uh, you have different i things, do sopranos, right events and stuff that's why you did the podcast that's part of it right
1: yeah a lot a lot of travel and last year we were in australia doing a tour uh in conversation with the like an inside the Actors Studio kind of live stage right. thing, we've done that in Australia and all around this country, and uh, um, which is really fun. But
0: um, it's no travel
1: right now, but hopefully soon it will be back.
0: That's got to be the hardest thing. I was taking, I was talking to Terrell Davis about it. I was interviewing him, and, he, and you just could tell he's like, "Man, I'm ready to get out. I'm ready to go." We all know we got to wait. You know, that's the biggest thing. We have to yeah. wait. that that it's us. Go. It's yeah. forced us to be patient. Right. You know, I was really supposed happens. to be in Vegas like two weeks before and a, at an event with a client out uh, in, in Vegas and that got canceled. Thank goodness. And then everything went to wow. And then I can't even remember. I was in Houston in December and I thought travel just seems so crazy to think about. But at one point we will be again doing it again for sure. So well, tell us. Yeah, I think things are
1: starting to open up now. So we'll see we hope
0: let's hope that
1: step by step like
0: in cases like certain area like in brazil and then we have to start again that will be really hard i, I hope not i hope yeah, not. not hopefully hoping. the worst is behind us. exactly so the name of the podcast what's the name of the podcast
1: podcast is called talking sopranos and it's available on youtube and apple podcasts and spotify and all that uh and that's steve Shrip and i uh, steve shripp and i um Breaking down every episode. E- you know, each episode of our podcast is dedicated to one episode of the show. That's great. Uh, we have guests, um, not every show, like every other show, kind of. We have had Jamie Lynn Sigler, we've had Robert Eiler, Michael raspoli Henry Bronktin, one of the one of our directors and producers. We had the casting people, uh, which was really fascinating. Uh, we had Edie Falco coming up. We have uh, the costume designer Juliet, so it 's uh, people in front of and behind the camera people who have contributed to make the show
0: what it is it 's an inside look at the show yeah. so you got to be happy you were part of the sopranos because it's still helped it 's still part of your life and never ended yeah,
1: I mean, I never would have predicted that, but uh what happened was in the last year and a half, two years, the show became. Huge to a whole other generation of viewers, uh, late teens, 20s, 30s. This is all a new audience that were too young to watch Me the show too, when I was on the
0: air. The interview, that's the first time I watched it, and I'm well, a-
1: that's something, yeah, you can't predict that. I mean, it's yeah. one thing to watch it when it's on and have nostalgia for those days when you Sunday night you'd watch it with your family and make pasta or whatever. Um, but this is a whole new generation, uh, who are obsessed with the show and, uh. They're like the podcast generation, so it's one reason why I think
0: this, the podcast has really caught on, you know, because young people it. are really into it. Talking about each episode, and I know now I probably won't ask that question of, what, of the last episode. Do you think he died or not? Because you're going to be breaking that down in a podcast, right? At one point, you'll do the last episode. But, but I mean, it, it floored me. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm watching and I'm like, okay, I know what's going to happen. Everyone's going to get shot up, right? I was thinking that and then it turned to black and I'm like, what just happened? And And I know that got people that watched it live compared to me watching it on Amazon a different story. See, Amazon's what did it. Honestly, I think Amazon brought it back with the whole putting in all the episodes streaming. Uh, streaming on Amazon. I think that that really did it. I mean, they've done it for a lot of shows. Amazon has taken other shows and have made them very popular again. So oh.
1: yeah, no doubt. Um, I think it's really that the binging the show is a whole other experience. And was when it was initially on, you had to wait every week. And then when the season was done, you might have to wait a year, uh, for the next season, so being able to watch it when you want has brought a whole other uh, element to
0: the, you know, to the viewership. I think, and it's grown now more. I bet you because that's probably one on their list for binge watching during the uh, pandemic. Is I think
1: it's a bigger show now than it was. You know, and, and it, there was an article in GQ two weeks ago that said Sopranos was the hottest show of 2020. Because a lot of the new shows, A, weren't able to go on the air, and B, you know, it's like people are in quarantine, they're binge-watching their old favorites.
0: And, you know, I interviewed Steve like four years ago, never knew anything about a sauce. It was like a quick radio tour, eight, six, eight, six to eight-minute interview on his, on his, uh, his, his, his uh, sauce, and I never even heard of The Sopranos then. You're laughing at me saying, what were you doing during The Sopranos? I was a former professional wrestler, I was traveling minor leagues, but I didn't have time to watch television and I didn't have HBO. We were, we had cable like, and like, and then when I got back, I was still busy and I never did. So isn't that, mm-hmm. I, I was always interested, but I was hooked after the first episode, the pilot. And then I'm like,
1: yeah. I, and it gets better over time. Yeah. You
0: know, I think the show. Yeah. I heard you say how much you thought it got better. You know, yeah. Yeah, you were like, yeah. as a writer, you really analyze shows. Is that hard? Especially when you see a script and you get a job for another show and we're not going to name the shows, but you probably nitpick as a writer looking at what that you see when you're getting offered a, a, a job, right? In a certain ways. And say, well,
1: you know, um, every, you have to take it for what it is. You, you, you can't, You know, you take a job based on what that show is and where you are in your life and, you know, what you need at the moment. Um, It's gonna be hard to top The Sopranos or match The Sopranos, but uh, that doesn't have to be. You know, you you just, some shows, you know, there's procedural shows that are fun to watch. Like, I love Law & Order SVU. I, I don't get tired of watching those. It's, you know, it's a certain formula that works and is very satisfying and fun. Um, you know, it's very different type of writing than the Sopranos, but right. it, 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 it's its own thing and, and, uh, people love it. I like it. Um, so you, you have to judge everything for its own terms. Not really, you, you can't always compare it to other things. You know what I mean? Do you
0: binge yourself? Binge watch shows? Yeah.
1: I like, right now I'm watching, uh, afterlife, which is a Netflix series Written, directed, and starring Ricky Gervais, and I love it. It's well, really, I'll have to check that out. It's dark just... comedy. It actually gets very dark and sad, but also very funny. Uh, and it's brilliant, it's really good.
0: I was uh, watching the one with, um, the one from Married With Children, the show that was uh, on Netflix. I, it'll come to me in the name of it in a second, but it was a really good show. But Which I'm, one? The father, the wife, or the... No, the 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 daughter? The the um um she she was in. The, oh, Christina Applegate. Applegate. yeah, that's a good show. And I. What show is that? I don't know. It's, it's that. something something dead. Better. It's not. It's like better off dead, or I forget. It's not like the the show. It's something dead. Dead to me. Dead to me. And oh my gosh, it's hilarious. Uh-huh. It's hilarious comedy, but really well done. But I'm, I'm been so many different things after. So, you know, it is what it is. I have to, right? <laughs> it's my, when I, you know, I ta- interview job. so many different people and stuff. So, okay, the podcast. Last thing I want you to pitch is because I, I, re- I interview a ton of authors, especially for the Miami Book Fair, even though your book's been out a few years. Tell us about your book before we finish up.
1: Are you in Miami? Is that where you are? No,
0: I'm in Pittsburgh. I'm I in uh, Pittsburgh. cover the Miami Book Fair every year. Yeah. From one year I went to Miami with Life Improvement Radio, but we broadcast live every year for like the last, yeah. I don't know if it's going to happen this year, but for the last nine years. Yeah.
1: yeah, I was there for the 2008. My book came out in 2008. I went to Miami Book Fair and did an event there. Uh, my book is called The Perfume Burned His Eyes. It's a novel. It's a coming of age novel set in the mid 70s in New York City and focuses on a 16 year old boy and his friendship with uh, Lou Reed, the okay. rock star. Hmm. And uh, Miami Book Fair was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. And I heard the publisher I've worked with a lot, uh, Akashic Books, yeah, Brooklyn, yeah, yeah, I Brooklyn the, Publishing, Johnny Temple. Yeah, yeah
0: I think then you went. Was we would have met. I the year I was there uh, was I think 2010 is when I started going. So, Sorry, so,
1: I was there in 2018, not 2008.
0: Oh, 18. Uh, well, well, they didn't up. put me on Two years went. ago. Tell Lisa yeah. Pallet, if you ever. She's a, uh, she was the one that really does all the PR for it all. She's phenomenal you talk about a hard working publicist. Oh my gosh. What mm-hmm. she puts together with the Miami book fair and all those authors and try to get all things together. It's crazy. It's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I didn't see, I didn't know you were there. So like, she just offers me different people. A lot of professors cause I have a background as a teacher before. So it's kind of like interesting ones I get to interview. But I, lo- I love the Miami book fair. Isn't that the best international? I mean, I hope someday it'll be back again. The street festival is amazing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, really fun. I enjoyed uh, that. Yeah,
0: so cool. So we can purchase that book at, uh, anywhere, right? You stole your book? available?
1: You can get it at uh, your local independent bookstore. You could get it at uh, Akashic Books website, and you can get it at the big uh, you know,
0: Amazon or whatever. Okay. And what else? Any other projects going on right now? You talked about, are you doing a TV show right now? Or...
1: Uh, Lincoln Rhyme, Hunt for the Bone Collector on NBC. We just did, we did our first season uh, and we are waiting now. There's a lot of uncertainty, you know, uh, in TV. So we're waiting to see if we'll do some more. We may, we may not, but hopefully we will. We'll see.
0: Yeah. I got to do the tour with NBC for it. So I did it with the stars. So didn't get to interview, but I got to interview the, the main people for it. When I work with uh, Christine over in NBC all the time, yeah, she's Christine gone. Gorky, yeah, she's yeah, good. yeah. she's the, the good crew for sure. NBC, they're top notch, they are. I, I am yeah. not, no complaints about those guys and different people I get to interview and all that stuff. All right, oh, yeah, best place we can connect all the things. Where can we go for you? Do you what? From, where's the best place we can connect with you? Do you have a place?
1: Oh, you could go to Instagram, real Michael Imperioli. All right, no website. No website. No, not, not, a, not one just for me. No, no, nah. but social media. Yeah.
0: And then, and then there we'll find out what's going on when the Soprano tours. will start Yeah.
1: And- soprano tours next year or whatever later this year, I hope. Uh, TalkingSopranos.com mm-hmm. would have some of that information and links to social media and uh, ways to hear the podcast and all that.
0: All right. Well, you got a lot of different things going on as I talked about from the beginning. You yeah. A lot of hats.
1: Yeah, I have to. Otherwise I get, I'm not a happy camper when I'm bored.
0: Okay. Well, it's, all right, man. Okay. Take care, man. Appreciate it. Thank all you, right, Neil. Right, that, you're listening to Neil Haley show and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show on the total celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome to the program. Howie Mandel of America's got talent, NBC and much, much more. Howie, how are you? That's the question I'm going to ask again, the quarantine question. How are you doing?
3: I'm not doing any different than I've ever been doing. You know, this this is how I've been living for the last 64 years. Now the rest of the world has joined my nightmare. Welcome to it.
0: (laughs) Yes, and we know those things and those stories, and it is the nightmare that we're dealing with in certain ways with social aspects, social distancing, and all the different things. But to make the next question I'm going to ask you is one that I think, hopefully, you're smiling. Simon Cowell is returning. Are you excited about him being back?
3: Simon Cowell, well, he wasn't going away. Uh, I think the the exciting thing this season was that uh, Heidi Klum came back, you know, who uh, who I missed, And then also the addition of Sofia Vergara is uh, what's amazing. Simon and I have been working together on the panel for a few years now. Yeah, I've been there for 11. He's probably been there for five or four. So he was. There was no question that he was coming back. But the new panelists of, uh, you know, Heidi Klum and and Sofia are great, and Terry Crews is still our host, and he's amazing. So that group is, uh, is you know, I think the uh, the just what the doctor ordered. I think that people, this is going to be a great escape this season, especially with what's going on in the world. I think that sitting down for a couple of hours in front of this TV watching america's got talent there's something for everybody whether you're three or 83
0: no absolutely i agree with you and it's uh the the perfect thing and how is that going Did you record certain things or are you it's throughout the process of this how the show is going to be starting on may 26th how are you going to handle all the different things with audience and different things through this process all the way to well, the we we're
3: lucky enough that we taped uh most of the auditions before the pandemic so it's going to be like an old friend you'll see us in the theater with 3,000 people and this new panel and just acts that are above and beyond anything you've ever seen before and then as the, as we were coming as the pandemic uh, you know reared its head which will be a few weeks down the line as we start airing we, we were still allowed to tape but we had to tape without an audience and that was kind of weird, but interesting and makes for good television. It's very intimate and the acts are amazing. The panel's still there. Then Heidi got sick and as luck would have it, you know, she didn't have COVID-19 and, but we were really worried about her. So then it was, and then there were three. And then Eric Street came in and sat in for a couple of auditions and then they shut us down. And a lot of it is, uh, and, and now we're, you know, we're still working. We've done some things on zoom, you know, and, uh, you know, I think the audience is going going to go on the journey as we do in real time.
0: So in the real time. And so it'll go through that same process all the way up to the end of the summer to you crown a champion. But we don't know what that new normal is going to be. It's just going to be playing on cer- certain things for sure.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that that must thing. But again, it's amazing to see the winners of America's Got Talent, how successful they're becoming. And I, I think you follow their journeys, don't you?
3: We do, but not even the just the winners. They're just people who appear on A G T. If they show up they don't necessarily have to win to have uh virgin career you know, their careers. If you go down the, the Las Vegas strip, everybody that's got their name in lights there had something to do. If they didn't win, then they were on A G T and that's where they got seen, you know. So it's it's kind of exciting. It is a you know, a dream making show.
0: And as People you've talked, there
3: with their hopes and dreams, and their lives change forever.
0: Yeah, and you've talked about, which is really interesting how you've mentioned a lot, is that specifically each year the talent gets better and better, right? The competition. Right. And you just never know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: You never know what you're going to In fact, this year, my golden buzzer is something that's never been, never graced the stage of America's Got Talent before. It's not music, it's not dance, it's not magic, it's not danger, it's not comedy something
0: really special so we everyone needs to start tuning in again may 26th 8 p.m eastern on nbc i appreciate you coming by Howie. stay safe quarantined and we'll see uh we'll see you soon okay bye bye all right bye you listen to neil haley's show when we'll be back in just a moment We're back to the Neil Haley's Show on the Caregiver Dave celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program. Caregiver Dave. Dave, how are you? And, you know, the uh, quarantine continues. How are you doing in Los Angeles right now? Give us an update for your fans and followers.
2: We're doing great out here. Um, Things are going normal, more and more and more normal. You know, I have a gas station in uh, Castaic Lake, L.A. County. And sales have increased on Mother's Day and the weekend before Memorial Day. And we're just on an upward trend. Uh, People have been stir crazy and they're on the road and they need gas.
0: Well, that's good. And that's great to know that the people are not going to want to be quarantined. They at least are practicing social distancing, but they're traveling again. They're not just staying in their house. But go ahead and introduce our guests. Yeah, we
2: went from 50% sales. We're back up to like maybe 80% now. So we're excited that money's starting to come in again.
0: That's good. And then we have a very interesting guest. So go ahead and introduce our guest. All right, Dave, who is our guest?
2: Well, we are honored to have an amazing author just cranks books out like uh, like people just, um, you know, eat breakfast, Kate Anderson Brower. And she's a journalist and she examines post White House lives of Jimmy Carter, my favorite Democrat, by the way, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush and Barack Obama in this illuminating, antidote-laden account. Opening with an Oval Office interview with President Trump in a buoyant, exuberant mood after the release of the Mueller Mueller report, Browler then lists the unwritten rules that guide relationships between ex-presidents, avoid criticizing the sitting president at all times, hmm, come together for celebration, etc. Welcome to the
4: show, Kate. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely, Kate. Oh, my pleasure. So how are you surviving the uh, quarantine? What's going on with you? Give us an update.
4: Well, we have three little kids, and I'm sitting in my small walk-in closet doing interviews all day. So,
0: hey. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I hear you.
4: Yeah, but it's going fine. I mean, I feel it's so terrible what's going on in the world, right? I'm just glad that I don't know anyone who's gotten sick, and it's it's really scary. Um, and my kids are in, like, grade school and I worry about whether or not they're going to go back in the fall. It's just uncertainty.
0: Oh, there's true uncertainty. And Dave, the new CDC guidelines have come out uh, regarding kids going back to school, and it's quite interesting. And we'll see what it sounds like the new normal in schools in September. But go ahead, Dave, with your first question for Kate.
2: Well, Kate, I'm. I apologize, but I've got to ask you as <laughs> first question. Um, are you leaning toward Uh, being a conservative or are you leaning toward being a liberal?
4: Because the slant
2: that you write such a book like this is going to affect how people interpret it and how they read it.
4: Oh gosh, I mean I really am, I know you're gonna think this is a canned answer, but I'm very, you know, I'm a journalist. I try not to be um, one side or the other. I mean I'm really trying to be straight down the middle and just report what, what I know and that's my honest answer.
2: Okay. Oh my God! So you're you're like that those journalists that used to exist thirty or forty years ago because it's hard to find one today who doesn't have uh, an opinion. So congratulations for that. (laughs) Thank you.
0: And then that process of yeah, so Dave, I was going to go. You can go with another question. Go ahead.
2: Well, I was going to ask you. So how do you think President Trump uh, will be received in the President's Club? You know, can he see himself becoming friendly with any of the former presidents after he leaves office? If so, which ones?
4: Well, I asked him that question when I interviewed him, and he said, uh, no, he he won't be part of the club, and he doesn't think that he'll fit in with any of them. Um, you know, he's he really understands that he he is not going to be accepted, and he doesn't want to be accepted. I mean, he is somebody who has broken all the rules um, along the way. And I think one of them is this that he's not he's not worried about it. Um, and you know, I even asked him if he would go to President Obama's uh, library opening, and he said no. You <clears> know, <throat> know, why why would he even invite me? So I think all the rules are different. <laughs> They've changed entirely with with Trump in office.
0: Yeah, I think so too. So, and, and it's and again, I think ultimately, in a lot of ways, he wants to be liked, and he knows he's offended a lot of people in certain sure. ways. And he likes to be liked. And if he feels that they're going to look down on him as not a politician, he's not going to waste his time doing dealing with that. Is that what kind of the answer he gave you? It's absolutely
4: the answer he gave me. You know, he doesn't, um, he, I think deep down. I mean, every, every human being wants to be accepted and liked. Everyone wants to be liked. And I think that he's spent some time where a lot of people haven't liked him. And so it's put him really on the defensive and so even during our interview at one point he brought out a piece of paper and it, it had what it said at the top Trump's list of accomplishments you know and it had all the things that he thought his administration had done you know will help the economy and all of these other things but no other president would have felt the need to take out a list of their accomplishments to show a reporter you know it I think it just shows you that he is defensive, and there are a lot of people who don't like him, and he's a human being, and so that would be your reaction, potentially. All
2: right, David. And in all fairness to, to Trump, uh, you know, he learned an important lesson at all those White House journalist dinners, you know. They, they just mocked him, and who wants to go through that?
4: Right, right. I mean, you know, people can say that Obama got a lot of favorable coverage from um, the media, uh, which I think is true. Uh, Trump has not, and uh, but Trump also, if you're going to be fair, at the same time he's done a lot of things, especially on Twitter, a lot of the things he's said have even upset some of his, you know, really strong supporters because they've just gone over the line.
0: Yeah, I talked to yeah. even Newt Gingrich would flat out, flat out say he he cringes when Trump tweets. So there are yeah. many people that are pro-Trump supporters that wish he would stay off Twitter. Because that's where a lot of people get their information. I think he knows that, but ultimately, he is getting somebody who's advising him, and this is my belief that wants him to really stick to his base. If that's the only chance of getting reelected, would you agree with me on Kate on
4: that? Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. That's he, and he, of course, every president wants to get reelected, and I think you see him in the back and forth with Obama right now. He's clearly decided that, you know, uh, running against Obama is going to help him, um, and maybe it will. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think Biden is so closely tied to Obama <laughs> that that's the strategy he's taking.
0: All right, Dave, next yeah. question. Well,
2: um, you know, I wanted to ask you, uh, and I'm going to ask you questions, and you may not uh, know the direct answer from Trump. Maybe you did. you didn't discuss it, but you have an opinion. So just let me know. Um, Is President Trump today the same man he was when he, you know, took the oath at the inauguration? What has he learned? How has he changed? How is he different?
4: I think he's more himself today than he was uh, when he took the oath because, you know, uh, when I talked to him, I, I asked if he has empathy for the men who came before him, and he said no, except. He does feel that Jimmy Carter has gotten a raw deal, um, mm-hmm. and Jimmy Carter, you know, if you're, you said you're a fan of his. I mean, you know that he's he's come out and criticized other presidents along the way, yeah. and uh, and I think Trump sees that they're they're similar in some ways, but I don't think that he um, spends a lot of time, you know, second guessing decisions. And I
0: don't, if anything, I think he's more himself now than ever before. You know, it's interesting. The thing I wanted to follow up on is if he really respected Jimmy Carter or looked at that as they're similar, the whole pandemic has caused him to have the kind of legacy as Carter in the fact that they were both presidents when things that normally never happened happened in my lifetime happen mm-hmm. like gas lines and different things that Carter dealt with the, uh, again, uh, the, the terrorists, Host- uh, the yeah. hostage thing, all of mm-hmm. these things historically, do you think that's going to end up to Trump Trump at the end? It, something like that. Whoever becomes president, if Trump cannot win will like, okay, let, we're going to now go to green or do something that's monumental to change their outlook as, as president, President Biden, I mean, as Vice President Biden would win.
2: Yeah, and in all fairness, Carter, he had an amazing accomplishment. And that was the the Peace uh, yeah, yeah, Accord David. between Egypt mm-hmm. and Israel, which is still in effect today. And nobody mm-hmm. talks about that. Yeah, well,
4: and he's done more in the post-presidency than any other president. Um, I, I went He's a nice Plains. guy. <laughs> yeah, he, I interviewed him.
2: <laughs>
4: yeah, he is a nice, nice guy. That. I went down to Plains, Georgia and interviewed him. Uh, he and Rosalind live in a, a really modest house, ranch-style house. You know, They don't have a lot of money compared to the other presidents. I think that's one of the things that I like about him best is that he he didn't cash in on the presidency the way the others have. They started the Carter Center, and, you know, they go around the world eradicating disease. Now they're, they're too old right now. I think they've taken a break from that. But they have saved people's lives, I mean, in a way that the other presidents, I think, have, have made a lot of money.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think he really looked at using the platform after the presidency to do good, while the others have used it in a way to build prestige. And that's mm-hmm. a great, that's a great and money and money. Well, prestige leads to money. I mean, it's, uh, it's in that way, but Carter didn't do that. Now, I, I, you have an amazing life. I mean, I am so excited that I've gotten to interview such amazing people in the celebrity game and great authors like you and really well-known people, but to be able to sit down with these presidents, it, it's gotta be a great honor for you, isn't it? To get to write books about yeah. them.
4: Yeah. I envy you. Uh, yeah. I don't know. A lot of my um, time is is spent trying to figure out how to, you know, how to not be partisan, because everything now is so divided right. in our country. You know, it's changed a lot. I wrote my first book in 2015, and the, the Residence, which is about the butlers and the maids at the White House, and it seems like that was a long time ago, but that was when things really started to get to where they are now. And I think it's hard to not be on one side or the other now, as you say. So I kind of want to do something that's not politics as my next thing.
2: Yeah, <laughs> You bring up a great question. I want to know how do you not be partisan? Tell me how it's done.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think every reporter should try their very best, right? I mean, you know, unless you're unless you're working at you know MSNBC or Fox, you you gotta try.
0: Right, exactly. I completely agree with you. And, and I won't make, I have a political belief and I try not on my shows to do it, to, to really, unless it involves education, Kate, I will not speak up with either side. Education I will yeah. Because of my background as a former teacher And uh, tutoring, do tutoring And really am still involved in education I will be very boisterous But I won't be on either political side It will be based on my belief side But I'm in a way Kate That kind of fearful Want to be partisan Because then people On both sides will listen to me They won't have a hatred And hopefully provide information That they they that will get that's Getting across the board and that's what Your success your books are you have Republicans and Democrats reading them don't you Yeah
4: Yeah, I think that's True I think it does uh, you know I'm trying To appeal to just people who are interested In in history and power And politics and how people Get along or don't you know I've got negative things about Clinton Obama In the book and then I've got positive things About both of them you know It's, it's kind Of trying to be even handed and just Say what I know and I people ask you know what what's Trump like in person and he's he is very nice in person like I, I'm not going to come out and, and make something up and say that he wasn't if I you know to try to seem like I don't like him I mean I personally um, I thought he was very engaged in the conversation and interested in what we were talking about so that's always a good thing when you're a reporter to be interviewing someone who's interested right
0: Oh, yeah. You know, I,
2: yeah. I appreciate what I appreciate what you're saying, Kate. But, you know, the bottom line is they're going to want to know, well, who did you vote for? Did you vote for Trump or did you vote for Clinton? And that automatically puts you in a box, you know, and mm-hmm. and it's so hard. I mean, have you been asked who do you vote
4: for and, and what have you told? No, because you know, I mean, how, I'm like, how do you how do you handle that question? Well, I've never been asked that question. We um, usually ask about what I wrote about in my books. You know, and and like stories and stuff. People don't usually ask me personal things like that. I uh, and I wouldn't answer it either, <laughs> right? Because it's like, oh, you what?